Good morning. Welcome again to Fullness. If you are here in the building or if you are watching online, uh, it's great to have you. I'm going to try to continue to lift up Jesus for the rest of our time together. If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. We're really going to be in the book of of Matthew most of the morning. Um, My name is, is Scott. For those who don't know me, I normally work with the youth. Normally I'm teaching them. But today I'm actually going to do something that I don't think I've done yet since I've been on staff here, and that is take a a sermon that I gave to the youth and give it to you guys on a Sunday morning. Um, So my apologies to any students here who have already heard this sermon about a month ago, but hopefully I've reworked it enough that uh, it still comes across as as fresh. Um, About seven years ago, so end of summer 2013, I had just kind of finished up or was finishing up a summer of working youth camps out in Glorieta, New Mexico. I'd been living in Texas for a couple of years, working at a Christian boarding school, but I was wanting to get back into pastoral local church youth ministry. And I saw this this camp as a way to kind of transition, hopefully, back into that world. And so I was working for um, Lifeways Fuge Camps out in Glorieta. It was a great summer. And toward the end of the summer, I had managed to to get an interview with a pastor from a church in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, for a paid internship that that they had. It was actually not a youth ministry position, but it was a a local church pastoral position. So I was excited. I went and got this interview with this pastor, finished out my my summer of working camps. And I, I remember a few weeks later, I was... Um, kind of just waiting in between things. And I was actually on vacation with my family. And I can still remember very clearly the morning of getting an email from this pastor and uh, just tell him, telling me, letting me know I was not the right guy for, for the job. They were going to go with someone else for this, this internship in, in Santa Fe. And I was so, so disappointed um, because at that point in my life, I didn't really know what was next. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing, what the Lord was doing. I was single. Um, I remember actually calling Pastor Bart and saying, is there anything, does fullness have anything? Can I come back? And he was, I mean, he was so gracious, but he was like, I'm sorry, we don't really have anything at this point. So I ended up going back to, um, to, to work at the, the boarding school in Texas. But I tell that little story of, of a time of, of real disappointment for me, but very much aware that there are people in the body here at Fullness, here in this room watching online right now, who have walked through or right now are walking through greater disappointments. And I know that if I ask for a raise of hands here in the building or if you're watching online, you know, who's been disappointed this year, every single person would raise their hand. I mean, in a sense, 2020 has been the year of, of disappointments, if, if we're honest. But I want to talk about a well-known story, I think, to most of you this morning um, on John the Baptist in prison in, in Matthew chapter 11. I've titled it Disappointed with Jesus. And um, so just a little bit about John the Baptist, just to kind of set it up. John the Baptist, as you, you might know, is a very fiery, kind of fire and brimstone type of preacher, very bold, very vocal, um, kind of a weird dude, lived in the desert, ate bugs, wore camel's hair, um, had no problem calling people out on their sin, and in fact calls out the king on his sin for marrying his brother's wife, and the king's like, I'm going to put you in prison for that. 
And so John is in prison. Meanwhile, while this is going on and, and John has been speaking about this one to come after him who John's really preaching is going to bring judgment. If, if you look in Matthew 3, that's really the message that, that John is, is preaching, that judgment is coming, so you better repent. Um, so John's in prison. Meanwhile, Jesus has come on the scene. He's doing miracles. He's acquiring followers. Crowds are following him. And John obviously hears about it. And that's where we pick up our story in Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 2. And we're going to really be in verses 2 through 6 primarily this morning. So now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So John is in prison. He is clearly experiencing some doubt and some disillusionment. He's obviously experiencing some confusion. That's why he sends this question. And I think that most likely John is disappointed. That John is disappointed in Jesus because Jesus is not meeting his expectations that he had for him. Um, in that day and age, first century Judaism, you know, they're under the, the rule of the Romans and there really was not one agreed upon view of what the coming Messiah, what the coming kingdom of God was going to look like. Um, in fact, some Jews didn't even think there was a coming Messiah, but you had different groups who had different ideas of what it might look like and they would latch on to different Old Testament passages to kind of support them in, in their view. And this is why you have all these different reactions to Jesus, because there's really no one agreed upon view and expectation of what the Messiah and the kingdom is going to look like. And we're really not that different today. As I was thinking about this, um, as followers of Jesus, as believers in the 21st century, we have different expectations and ideas of what does the kingdom of God look like? What is the spread of the kingdom of God? What does the Christian life look like or what should it look like? So does the spread of the kingdom of God look like political power, voting the right people into office? Does the spread of the kingdom look like mercy ministries, doing, doing good to the poor, helping out those who are oppressed? Does the spread of the kingdom of God look like the preaching of the gospel? evangelism and discipleship? Does it look like miracles, signs, and wonders? And I think if we're honest, different believers are going to answer that question differently. They're going to have different expectations. And when your expectations of what the kingdom is supposed to look like don't play out like you think they will, it's easy to be disappointed. Even in just your own individual life, when things don't play out like you think they were supposed to, and you're in a place where you didn't expect to be, it's easy to be disappointed, even with, with Jesus. And so we're going to kind of look at, at this passage. Um, I'm going to kind of try to take this, this story about John and apply it to us. Because in this passage, Jesus basically is saying John is kind of unique. He's kind of a one of a kind, in a sense. He's the last 
of the basically Old Testament prophets before Jesus, before the Messiah. And so even though John is unique and some of these things are unique to him, I think that the things that Matthew is saying, that Jesus is saying in this passage, that they, they speak to us too in our 21st century disappointments as, as well, whether that's more big picture, whether that's just individual hurt in your life. So that's kind of where, where we're going to go. Um, so the first thing that I, I think Matthew is kind of doing here, um, hopefully I can, can make this, this clear from the passages, I think that Matthew is, is giving a warning of a dangerous path, a warning of a dangerous path. And here's what I think the path is that he's kind of laying out. Um, it doesn't necessarily always have to look exactly like this, but I think it's a warning of a trajectory of doubt and a trajectory away from Jesus that John is in danger of walking. And so hopefully it makes sense. The little kind of diagram that I'm putting up here, I think it kind of looks a little bit like this. Disappointment can oftentimes lead to, if, if we stay in that place of disappointment, it can lead to a place of offense, which can lead to a place of looking for other options than Jesus. And here's, here's where I get that from the passage. So we've already seen that, that John is in a place of disappointment, of unmet expectations. But then at the end of this little passage in Matthew eleven six, 6, Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not what? Not offended um, who doesn't take offense in, in me. So I think what he's saying is, John, you're in a place of disappointment. If you're not careful, if you sit long enough in that place of disappointment, that can lead to where you're no longer just disappointed. You are actually taking offense against me. And then I think what Jesus is also kind of implying and the way that Matthew tells the story is, is kind of implying is that if you stay too long in that place of offense, it can lead eventually to looking for other options. Because remember, John sends the question, he says, are you the one, really, who is to come? Or should we look for someone else, for another option than Jesus? And I think the longer that I live, the more conversations that I have, the more voices that I, I hear just around culture, I think many, many people have walked down this path or else are on this path somewhere along the way. And I mean, you can walk down this path regardless of what generation you come from, but I'm becoming increasingly convinced that many in the younger generations, including the millennials, my, my generation and kind of under, have walked this path. As, as I talk to different young people and, and hear stories, deconversion stories of people who've kind of grown up um, professing the faith and then walk away, um, I, I don't think it's usually intellectual doubt. I think sometimes it is. It, sometimes it can be intellectual doubt. But I think more often than not, it's a place of emotional doubt, that they've been disappointed with something in, in maybe the church or just what they thought the kingdom was going to look like and the Christian life was going to look like, and it didn't meet their expectations. They sit there long enough, and it turns into more of an offense against, against God and, and the kingdom of God, and it eventually leads to, to looking for, for other options. And um, if, if I'm honest, almost every young person that I've talked to over the last several years, they're all wrestling to some extent or another with what does it really look like to be a kingdom-minded Christian in this day and age? Because they've seen mistakes done in the past. And I'm not hammering anyone, but they've seen mistakes done in the past that have left 
Christianity, people with a bad taste in their mouth for, for Christianity. Um, maybe they've experienced that and they don't want to do that too. And they're like, what does it look like to really, to really walk that, that, that kingdom mindedness um, in this culture, in this day and age? And I think if we, we kind of get this, this idea in our minds, it changes the way we react and, and respond to people who are somewhere on that path. That rather than kind of coming down hard and being frustrated with them, like, why can't they just get it together? Um, throwing some evidences out at them why Christianity is true. What if instead we became a safe place where they were able to sit with us and we were able to listen to their disappointment, to maybe they're even their, their offense? And we don't meet them with, with judgment, but we meet them with, with understanding and, and compassion, as, as I think we're about to see that, that Jesus does. So Matthew is first kind of laying out this warning of a dangerous path. Um, by the way, later in Matthew, this word offense pops up um, describing the Pharisees. This is how the Pharisees react against Jesus. And I think Jesus is kind of warning John. He's like, John, I, I see the temptation in front of you, but be careful that you don't end up at that place of, of offense. So how does Jesus respond, though, to um, to John in his place of disappointment and confusion and disillusionment? Well, I think there's at least three ways that, that Matthew is, is showing this response and that Jesus is, is giving as a response. And the first is this. There's a the question. Here's the answer. First is this. Our perspective is smaller than God's wisdom that is revealed in Jesus. Our perspective is smaller than God's wisdom that is revealed in Jesus. Now, where do I get the term God's wisdom. Well, I think that a helpful way to, to kind of understand this passage is to notice a word that appears in verse two, and then it's gonna appear later in verse 19 of Matthew 11. And don't really have time to go through Matthew seven through, through 19, but there's this word that pops up and it's the word deeds, the word deeds. So in verse two, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Matthew says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, the things that Jesus is doing, and then it pops up again in verse 19, and Jesus is actually the one speaking now um, when he says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds, same word. And if we put them together, like I have on the screen, I think what, we're, what Matthew is communicating here is that the deeds of Jesus are the deeds of wisdom. And so to a Jewish reader who's reading this, who's hearing this, they're going to go to the, the wisdom of Yahweh. The wisdom of Yahweh is literally being demonstrated and revealed in the person and work of Jesus. That as Jesus works, God's wisdom, Yahweh's wisdom is being revealed in the deeds of Jesus. But here's the thing that strikes me about this passage. John knows the deeds of Jesus. He sees them. He's heard about them. He's aware of them. That's why he sends the disciples in the first place to, to ask the question. The problem is John's missing the significance of them. He's not impressed by the deeds of Jesus. You know, I, I spoke earlier a little bit about how there wasn't any one agreed upon view of what the coming Messiah, the coming kingdom would look like. But many Jews, and I do think that John was part of this, they, they expected the Messiah to be someone of a, of a warrior, to, to defeat Israel's enemies. And I think John probably would have thought that way too because John was really, like I said, preaching a message of, of coming judgment, that the one who comes after me 
is basically going to burn up the enemies of God, like, like chaff. Um, and so that's, that's kind, of, kind of John's view, his expectation. And Jesus isn't doing that. Um, remember at the, at the baptism of Jesus, where John baptizes Jesus, and he comes out of the water, and a voice comes from heaven. And what does the voice say? This is my beloved son. So to a first century Jew, if they hear the term, this is the son of God, they're probably going to think, well, this is someone who's coming like, like a David, like a King David, who's going to defeat Israel's enemies. And Israel's enemy at that time was, was basically Rome, right? And Jesus is not doing that. In fact, rather than starting a political revolution that just kind of steamrolls everything in its path, Jesus is doing things like, in Matthew 8, he heals a Roman centurion's servant rather than fighting against the Roman. In Matthew 9, he invites a, a sympathizer of Rome, a tax collector, to become part of his followers. Matthew, who's writing, writing the this, this story. But in Matthew 10, he also invites a zealot who hates Rome and wants to defeat Rome. He invites him also to become part of his community of followers. So Jesus is doing something totally new and unexpected, but it's, it's not meeting John's expectations. And so like John, we can, we can see what, what God is doing, maybe see some of what God is doing, and just miss the, the significance of it. Um. Paul also picks up on this, this theme, I'm not going to stay here long, but picks up on this theme that Jesus is the wisdom of God. So what is the wisdom of God, though? If it's not what, what John is expecting it to be, what is it? What is Jesus saying? Well, the answer that, that Jesus gives to the question, the, the, the disappointment, is this. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. And basically what Jesus is doing, he's doing a couple things. He's one, he's recounting the miracles that he's been doing up to this point. Miracles that have been happening in the last few chapters in, um, in Matthew. But also, Jesus has some Old Testament passages in mind from the book of Isaiah. And I don't have time to get go through these, but I put them up on the screen if you want to write them down and go back and and read them later. But remember, Isaiah is writing to the people of God, the nation of Israel, in exile, in a place of exile. And he's saying a day is coming where, where God is going to return you from exile, where he's going to restore you, where he's going to come back to his people and defeat their enemies. And Isaiah is basically saying the sign of this is going to be miracles. Healings are going to point to this. And so Jesus, really what he's, he's saying in response to this question is he's saying, remember those things that Isaiah said were going to happen that are, that are pointing to the return from exile? I'm doing it. I'm acting it out in front of you right now. And so the miracles are really happening, but the miracles aren't really the main point. The miracles are pointing to something greater. And so I think part of what what Jesus is, is saying here is it's easy in your place of disappointment and confusion and disillusionment to maybe you see here something that God did over here, maybe here's something that God did over there, 
but they just seem random and disconnected. And Jesus is saying, no, if you pay attention to them, if you start putting them together, they're pointing to something bigger. The restoration of bodies is pointing to a greater restoration that God is doing. And so even though you don't see it, even though John didn't see it, God is working. He's working out his wisdom. Jesus is working. And so our perspective is smaller than God's wisdom that is revealed in Jesus. But then next, and this is, I think, one of the main points that Jesus is making here. He says, he basically is telling John, listen to the testimony of those who have been with Jesus. Listen to the testimony of those who have been with Jesus. He's saying to the guys, he says to the John's disciples, he says, go and tell John what? What you hear and what you see. So he's basically telling John, John, in your place of disappointment, in your place of disillusionment and confusion, listen to the testimonies of those who have been with me, who have seen and heard the good things that I am doing, who won't just know me from afar, but who have been with Jesus. Because when we're in that place of disappointment, I think it's easy to, it feels like a prison. You, you just, your, your view gets shrunk and you start forgetting things and you have to have those who come alongside you and are able to testify to you about Jesus. Um, I am, it's, it's been really fun lately. Ellie, my daughter, just turned five in September. And I was telling her leading up to that, I was like, when you turn five, I'm going to start reading you The Lion, the Wish, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, which I grew up reading. And so it's been fun for me to get to, to read that story again. It's been years for me. Um, honestly, she's really not quite old enough to get it. She'll be rolling on the floor doing other stuff. And um, I'll have to, like, all right, I'm going to close this and not do this right now. And then she's like, no, Daddy, do it, do it. Um, but the character to me that has really stood out in coming back to this story has been the character Edmund. Um, if, y'all, if you're not familiar with the story, if it's been a while, there's four kids, and Edmund is the youngest boy. Um, of these four British children who've gone away to this house in the country. And Edmund is really not one of the positive characters in the story. Um, He's kind of a jerk. He's pretty mean to his little sister, Lucy. But he's also picked on by his older brother, Peter. And so Edmund is a little bit of the outcast in uh, in the story of among the four children. And really, Edmund is in this place of hurt and this place of disappointment, um, and even feeling offended towards his brother and his siblings. And one day, Edmund basically accidentally gets into the land of Narnia through the wardrobe. He doesn't even believe that it exists, but he gets in, and he's there alone. Um, He has no idea what's going on, and he meets the queen of the land. And it just started sticking out to me that Edmund, in his place of disappointment, in his place of offense towards his brother and his sisters, he's very vulnerable to the lies of the white witch. And she starts telling him all these things and he starts believing her. He starts telling her, hey, I'm the queen of this land. And if you turn in your brother and your sisters to me, if you turn them over to me, bring them to me, I'm gonna make you a prince. And then one day you'll be the king and you'll get to rule over your brother and your sisters. And Edmund's just eating this up. And he convinces himself that this is true. And later even in the story, when Edmund 
hears it, no, this queen is actually a witch. She's actually really bad. She's cursed the land. He's like, no, I don't think that's true. Because the people that are telling him that are the people that he's mad at and disappointed with. And he starts hearing about this lion, this good, powerful lion named Aslan. And he's, he's like, no, I don't, I don't think he's good. Um, and he convinces himself in his place of disappointment that the witch is good and Aslan is bad. And to me, that is a perfect picture of what happens, that we just start getting things turned around when we stay in this place of disappointment that can lead to offense and eventually leads to looking for other options. But my favorite part so far of, I'm trying not to get emotional here, but this is just really special. Um, About a week ago, we got to the part in the story where Aslan dies in the place of Edmund. He gives his life for him because Edmund does act out the role of traitor. He turns basically goes to the White Witch to turn in his siblings to her. Um, and so according to the deep magic, the, the queen has the right to put Edmund to death because he's a traitor. And I'm really trying to get Ellie to, to understand this part of the story. And we read the part where Aslan dies um, in the place of Edmund. And I, I'm trying to communicate that. Ellie, you know, Edmund was the one who was supposed to die. And Aslan dies in Edmund's place. And Ellie kind of gets, I can tell that she gets it because she gets this kind of sad but happy smile on her face. And she says, Daddy, I like Aslan. He's a hero. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, Ellie, he's a hero. But then we get to the next part, the next chapter where Aslan comes back from the dead. And it was so cool because I'm reading it in as dramatic of a voice as what I can. And, um, and you can just see Ellie's eyes get big. And she's like, whoa, Aslan came back from the dead. And she, she actually put it together. She was like, whoa, daddy, Aslan's like, Jesus, he died for us and he came back to life. Um, but it was so cool to see her experience the story kind of for the first time. And it made me kind of experience it in a fresh new way. And I just started thinking, I think that's what it's like when we're around those who've been with Jesus, who've really been with Jesus. They don't just know Jesus from a distance, but they've been with him. And they just kind of have this, just, this childlike wonder and joy in the goodness of Jesus. And when we get around him, it, it kind of makes us remember what we may have forgotten of how good and how kind Jesus was. And so... We have to listen to the testimony of those who have been with Jesus. By the way, before I go on, before I get to the next point, I think the flip side of this is how important is it for us to be with Jesus when we know the ones who are walking through the disappointment and we can go to them and testify of the goodness and the kindness of, of Jesus. But the, the third point, last point, uh, is this. Hold on for the blessing that comes to those who stay with Jesus. Jesus is saying, hold on for the blessing that comes to those who stay with Jesus. He basically says literally this um, in Matthew eleven six. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And 
course, the blessing that Jesus is talking about is not the blessing that you hear television, health and wealth, prosperity preachers talk about who twisted and deceived the people of God. That's not the kind of blessing that Jesus is talking about because I think you guys know the story. Later on in Matthew, we read that, that John gets beheaded. Um, he stays in prison for a while, um, about a year according to some sources, and then is beheaded by King Herod. And so you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like a blessing that I want. Um, but I think part of the key is the phrase, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It sounds very similar to something that, Matthew, that Jesus had said earlier in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, where he says this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For though they persecute, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the blessing didn't look exactly like what John, I'm sure, was wanting and, and hoping that it would be. But can you imagine the, the reward that John is experiencing in heaven right now? And when he went into heaven for the first time, I can only imagine the welcome that he would have gotten. Because I believe, I'm convinced that John did not walk down that path of disappointment to offense to walking away from Jesus, but that he, he did hold on um, for the blessing. But one of the, the favorite things of mine about this passage is how Jesus does not react when John brings this question of disappointment to him. I mean, if anybody could have been, had reason to get offended at this question, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus doesn't scold John for bringing this doubt, this confusion, this disappointment to him. Um, Jesus loved John. He knew he was going to the cross to die for John too. And I think we see the love of Jesus for John later in Matthew when, when he does, when he is beheaded. Um, sorry. Matthew 14, af right after John gets beheaded by King Herod, it says this, it says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And that just stuck out to me. I think Jesus went away by himself on a boat to grieve and to pray because he loved John. John was his friend, and that was his heart for the, the disappointed, doubting John. And Jesus basically defends John. Rather than scolding John for his disappointment, Jesus defends him, and he calls him great. And basically... He ends up calling us great, that if you, if we can hold on for the blessing that comes to those who stay with Jesus, we're going to be great too. He's basically saying this, if the one who was pointing to the Messiah and was pointing to the coming kingdom is great, how much more so those who are living under the rule of the king and are living in the kingdom are going to be great as they hold on to Jesus. And so I think Jesus is really his final thing that he's telling John here is, John, I know that it's hard. I know that it, it feels hurtful to be in this place of disappointment. But if you will hold on, if you will stay with me, the blessing is coming. It is coming. It is a promise. John Owen, one of my favorite Puritans, who I, my son is, is named after, says this, and I'm, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask the, the worship team uh, to, to come 
back up. Um, this fits, I think, so well with what Pastor Bart preached about last week of walking by faith and not by sight. And if you didn't get a hint here, that sermon last week, I highly recommend going back and listening to it. But John Owen says this. Um, he says, no one shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight in heaven who does not in some measure behold it by faith in this world. So as I close, there's really um, two groups of people that I want to kind of address here today, whether they're here in the room, whether they're watching online. Um, And the first one is those who would say that they are somewhere on this path of this dangerous path. Uh, Maybe they're in a place of disappointment. Maybe, Maybe you're actually walking beyond that and you're feeling the temptation to be offended towards towards God, towards the kingdom of God for just any number of reasons, unmet expectations. Um, maybe if you're honest, you're actually in the place where you're saying, I'm starting to look for other options than Jesus. And I want to say to you, first, I'm just, I'm sorry. Um, your feelings are valid. They're valid. Don't apologize for them. But I would humbly and gently want to encourage you to consider that just maybe, just maybe your perspective is smaller than the wisdom of God that is revealed in Jesus. And that maybe God is working out his wisdom in ways that you just, you don't quite see yet. I want to encourage you to go and listen to the testimony of somebody that you know is walking closely with the Lord Let them remind you of the goodness of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus that maybe you've forgotten about. And I wanna encourage you to hold on just a little bit longer. Blessing is coming. It's a promise that blessing is coming to those who stay with Jesus in the midst of their disappointment. And the other group I wanna speak to is if you're watching online or if you're here and you would say you're in a good place right now. Things are going well in your life someone that you know that you can go to and testify about the goodness of Jesus to come alongside them in their disappointment and just kind of bring them back so I'm going to pray for us worship team or Pastor Bart's going to come up set up offering and we'll, we'll end with uh, one last song so Father we, we thank you for who you are God sometimes it doesn't feel like you are good but we say in faith you are good And we ask that you would, in your grace, in your mercy, give us eyes to see your goodness and to interpret the things that we see rightly, to see the wisdom of God in it. God, help us to encourage one another. Help us to point each other to the greatness of who you are, Jesus. We ask this in your name.